Yeah, I mean, aliveness is a word that I kind of just started desperately clinging to a handful of years ago, you know, and I think, yeah, I think for me, aliveness is like being here for all of it. And I say that, you know, even after I've been struggling for a year and a half to <laughs> to be alive, to be in my own aliveness and to be in my body. And But I think that there's room for it all. You know, there's room for the times where we just are really struggling to stay present or stay with ourselves or our bodies. Welcome to Wayward Bodies a show about our bodies and the messy places that they meet the world. I'm your host, Ellie Bauer-Johnston. Each episode, we'll be exploring embodiment, body liberation, creativity, healing, and how we can start to show up as our whole selves. Welcome to Wayward Bodies. I am Ellie Bauer Johnston. I'm your host, as well as a embodiment guide, a breath and rest teacher, and a body witch. And today I'm bringing you a conversation that I got to have with Jennifer Patterson recently. I am a huge fan of her work, and I kind of had a suspicion this was going to be a total delight of a conversation, and thankfully I wasn't wrong. We talked about her work as a breath worker and herbalist, as well as grief and aliveness, which are big themes that run through what she does. And we also discovered that we are both Libra suns with Gemini moons and that we're basically star sign twins. And I feel like that is equally important to your enjoyment of this conversation Um, beyond her star sign. Let me tell you a little bit about Jennifer. Um, She is a grief worker who uses plants and breath and words to explore survivorhood, bodies and healing. She's a queer and trans affirming and centering trauma experienced herbalist and breathwork facilitator and offers sliding scale care as a practitioner through her private practice, Corpus Ritual, and as a member of the Breathe Network. She's the author of The Power of Breathwork, Simple Practices to Promote Well-Being, and the editor of the anthology Queering Sexual Violence, Radical Voices from Within the Anti-Violence Movement. A graduate of Goddard's College MA program, Jennifer is finishing a book project focusing on translating embodied traumatic experience through somatic practices and critical and creative nonfiction. And she's also a teacher in training programs with the Breathe Network and Breath Liberation Society. As I said, I am a huge fan of Jenny's work and it was such a joy to get to chat with her. We, we covered all sorts of ground and you'll hear us get into the wavy space between medicine and poison and how dosage of anything can make, can make it a medicine or a poison. We, we talked about being in our bodies when they're places of pain or challenge. We talked about being in relationship with the land, even as city dwellers, and how she's practicing turning towards aliveness in what she calls dying times. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. But before we do, just a small single announcement, which is that my books are open for the autumn winter intake of one-to-one embodiment guidance. This is a six-month deep dive, um, a container held for you as we move through these sort of darker months so that you can really root back into yourself and find a relationship with your body that feels nurturing and in your own rhythm before you blossom forth and emerge back into the spring and summer next year. Um, There are also spaces for single sessions, so uh, 90-minute sessions working on a specific issue. If you just want a moment in time to kind of draw in and reconnect, then that is also a fantastic way to bring a bit more embodiment into your world. You can find the details for both the longer container and for those single sessions down in the show notes. Okay, let's get into this conversation with Jenny. I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's go. Hey, Jenny, it is 
such a pleasure to have you here with me today. I mean, people will have heard your intro and like heard all of the stuff that you do and the amazing work that you do, but um, I thought it might be a good place to start by, by talking about breathwork because it's a thing that comes up a lot. You know, it's very, very popular these days in healing worlds, but I'd love if you could give an idea of what breathwork is to you and kind of like how, how you work with it as a, as a healing medium. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, it's, it's definitely been a few years now of, of a lot of, of conversations, a lot about breath work and more, I think more access to it because so many people have been working virtually. So I think that part is cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I try to like dial it back with breath work and be like, breath work is anytime we're bringing attention and intention to our breath. So it's kind of simple, you know, it's simple in that way where because our breath is just automatically happening in our bodies, we as humans have a tendency to just kind of not pay attention to it. So, you know, and there's also a lot of reasons why I think it's hard to pay attention to the breath, usually related to trauma or the oppression that so many people experience in the world and how that gets internalized and then our bodies feel unsafe to us. But yeah, intention and attention to breath is kind of how I like to start with it because that means we can do it whenever we want. You know, we don't need a facilitator. We don't need to pay money to do it. We can do it at any point of the day. And I like to also, you know, often when I facilitate breathwork groups at the end, I talk about how it's a practice. You know, it's a daily practice of bringing our attention back to our breath and staying with it when we can because it helps interrupt the kind of automatic ways that we might have adapted our breath over our lifetimes. You know, a lot of people, myself included, have a lot of shallow breathing, chest breathing, higher up like shoulder and chest, breathing through our mouths. You know, there's all these ways that we've adapted our breath that maybe isn't serving us. So yeah, attention and intention is kind of where I like to start. But then I do facilitate a particular breathing style. Actually, I usually do two. I do a diaphragmatic breath in my one-on-ones and group work. And then I also do a breath called three-part breath that is taught by a lot of people. It also, you know, like so many of these practices, it's really important to say that they're not new <laughs> at all. You know, they're was very invented old. by some white guy in the 80s. No. I mean, as much as they like to take credit for it and trademark it and, yeah. and not trademark it, you know, and still take credit for it. No, it's really old. And, you know, I think you could look into like most ancient and also current traditions and communities and um, spiritual traditions and find a breath practice in there. So this, the one I facilitate is closely related to pranayamic breath. I also think there's a relationship to holotropic breath, which, you know, of course also is <laughs> related back to pranayamic breath, but there's, um, you know, the introduction of music in the breath practice that I facilitate. There's a creative component where people get to write a little bit or draw a little bit afterwards to kind of just help ground what they saw or felt or learned back into reality or in onto the page so yeah that's a little bit about breath work yeah yeah I mean I've I've taken part in several of your breath for aliveness or breath work for aliveness workshops I suppose is the correct word and mm -hmm. yeah, yeah I, they it's just such an amazing practice it, like I think it was possibly the first like working with you was the first time that I really kind of stepped into breath work world and oh cool yeah, and and it's just like, whoa, what is this? This is magic, and it it can mm -hmm. really be such a um an intense and powerful practice. And I, I mm -hmm. come from yogic world, so I've you know done a lot of work with like pranayamic kind of breath and you know the the different pranayama structures for exploring the breath. But that three part breath is really transformational. It can be really transformational. Yeah, it can. A lot can happen. <laughs> a lot can happen really fast, you know, which is a blessing and a curse sometimes, I think, you know, it's like, I think there's also maybe an important, important piece around like titration in the mm -hmm. practice, because I think, you know, when I first found the practice, the ways that teachers were teaching it um, in the spaces I was in that I, I didn't totally resonate with were like, keep the pace going, keep it fast, keep it moving, don't stop, don't listen to the resistance, you know, and I think, 
I try to like remove a lot of that because I think like if we're going to be in a practice where we're trying to listen to our bodies, like we have to listen to our bodies. And that means slowing down sometimes. That means stopping. That means doing a different breath if we need to do it, you know? So yeah, a lot can happen in one session. And also like, we gotta, we gotta be sweet to ourselves throughout the process, I think, because it can be a lot sometimes. Yeah. I think that that fits with a lot of, I mean, a lot of the more accessible kind of ways that you work generally and the ways that I try to work as well like where it's like you follow mm-hmm. you like you do you this is not about me like pushing my my egoic idea of what this is meant to be onto you this is like you have to if nothing else please listen to yourself yes if nothing else yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah and then I mean kind of complementing that and I feel like you know if, if breath is all like air element and that, that very sort of like energy moving then you have this other like side to your healing practice in herbalism mm-hmm. which feels so much more rooted and like literally rooted and and mm-hmm. earth and like steadying in that kind of way can you tell me a little bit about like how you like to work with plants I know that they're you know that you you have a particular interest in like poison plants and psychedelics and things that may on paper sound not particularly healing but obviously are yeah Yeah, I mean, I love the way that you frame that because I don't think that I have any earth in my astrological chart. I'm like all air and fire. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm like all air and fire. I have a Libra stellium. I have a Libra sun. I have a Gemini moon. I'm like... Me too. No, not the stellium, but Libra sun, Gemini moon, Aries rising. Lots of air and fire. Oh, I'm a Leo rising. Times. Um... That's funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that probably explains a lot about why I feel drawn to working with plants. I need things to root me down and ground me and like keep me tethered to the earth because, and also with breathwork too, it's like, I'm very heady. I'm like all in my, I'm just like thinking 200% of the time, which is hard. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't relate to this at all. (laughs) I'm always like brain get it just stop (laughs) slow down I can't you know but yeah I mean herbs I came into herbs I think later in my 20s maybe like I'm 40 almost 41 now so over a decade ago because of health stuff you know like I was having kidney stones for like the third time I didn't have health insurance, didn't want to go to a hospital to have it addressed. And I was like, there has to be other ways to navigate this. And, you know, I was raised by plant people, but they were more gardeners and like had beautiful gardens. And it was less about working with plants for healing. So yeah, I started researching and I was like, oh, herbalism, like that's, (laughs) that's a place I could go to for some support. So I kind of found it out of necessity. And then, you know, I think as many people often feel it's like once we start working with these things we want to build our relationship so I started studying with different teachers probably in like 2012 or 13 and you know I think much like breath work working with plants is like a lifelong study I don't think we ever get to like I hope no one ever calls me a master herbalist because I would hate that and also like (laughs) I don't know. I have a whole lifetime ahead of me to be learning with these beings. But I feel like a lot of my practice, you know, though I'm like studied and have teachers and have a trillion books, so much of my practice is about intuition. So sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm not very intuitive. But then I like, you know, start growing a plant that is like the exact plant that I need for a particular body situation, you know, so I think that it's a cool way of being in relationship to plants to just be like, I feel like I'm in the backseat, you know, I'm definitely not smarter than plants. I think that they have a lot to teach me slash us. And, you know, I did start diving into poison medicine as a, as like a framework for my, my life personally. I'm a survivor of multiple forms of violence from childhood through adulthood, I've been in a lot of complex relationships that, you know, some could be called abusive, some could just be called two traumatized people trying to (laughs) figure out how to be in a relationship. Bumping up against each other. 
you know, it's like all the all the parts coming out. But yeah, poison medicine felt very forgiving to me. Poison medicine as a framework, I, I, I think of like the full expanse between poison and medicine. And also like when something moves into a poison versus a medicine, you know, a lot of like teachers from way back in the day would talk about how it's all in the dose, you know? So it's like we could handle any, you know, we need water to survive. Um, water could become a poison if we just keep drinking and drinking and drinking. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. anything can be a poison in that respect. And then any, anything can be healing. And, you know, where where they overlap a little bit sometimes where like maybe like a really difficult experience allows us to access something about ourselves or helps us recommit to our lives or something. But also poison medicine is like plants that are considered poisonous by, you know, mainstream culture. Usually these plants are also plants that like indigenous communities have used as a healing plant yeah. <laughs> for lifetimes. So there's that element too that kind of erases the indigenous knowledge of these plants. But you know, there's a lot of plants that I've just developed a deep relationship to. One of them is definitely Datura, which is this big, white, beautiful, blooming plant that blooms at night, smells incredible, is like really just so stunning. And also is, you know, if we ingest it and we don't have the right intentions or the right relationship with the plant can really fuck us up. So, you know, I never recommend people taking it internally with poison plants. There's so many ways to work with them though. Like we can work with them topically. A lot of them are really supportive of chronic pain and insomnia and, you know, depression and also flower essences are really great too, which is just working with the essence of the plant. So the plant will go, sometimes it goes in the water or sometimes it, it's just more of like an energetic relationship, but then we ingest the diluted water in a little bit of alcohol or apple cider, vin apple, apple cider vinegar. So, you know, these are ways to kind of build relationships with those plants without having to like go on a, a wild trip, which, you know, you could do as well if you're with a facilitator that has that experience and that training and background. And then, yeah, psychedelics, I... I put in the category of poison medicine because I think, again, it's like, depends on the set and the setting. That line again, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And, you know, I do, I think that these, these kinds of plants bring us into right relationship with them, you know, like if we want to work with them in a way that will be healing, we have to come to them in a way that honors their medicine and honors how they work in our bodies. So yeah, psychedelics came out of a lot of my personal work with that, with those medicines, which, you know, it's a, it's a speaking of topics that are just like really on right now, you know, there's, there's a lot happening, a lot of not good stuff happening in the psychedelic world too. You know, I mean, the appropriation is constant. Like it's got very uh, tech broified. Oh, so tech broified, which like, you know, everyone's got their own reasons for working with these. But I think that trying to use, use is the, the operative word here, yeah. use these plants or these chemicals to optimize our output under late stage capitalism. Like I'm not interested personally. <laughs> I feel like you're missing the point, guys. I'm like, no, that's the opposite message. Come on. But, you know, I also think that there are incredible people doing this work as well. In the US, at least, there are cities that are decriminalizing and even legalizing some things. So they're there's a bit more access, which I think is cool. But then, you know, there's also people that are monetizing it. And I was lucky enough to work mostly with sliding scale practitioners and guides, which is how I've done almost all of my own personal healing. Thank God people exist doing sliding scale work. So, you know, it's again, it's it can bring you into some hard spots. And also there's incredible opportunities for healing and change and transformation that I don't, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I guess I would have accessed it otherwise, but I think that psychedelics really kind of help propel my healing in a way where I could somatize it or like take it in, in like a real way. Yeah. So it wasn't just you sort of thinking it through. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, talk therapy, 
I'm great at that. I can talk all day. And <laughs> yeah, not tease really, it all out. Doesn't, doesn't drop down. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is why I do embodiment work. Is like you know, we need we teach the things that we need, right? Like exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's also great because I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not some like great. I'm not great at you know being embodied all the time. I think. I struggle just like everyone and that's why I lead all my practices yeah yeah and that I mean that kind of leads us nicely to yeah it leads us towards perhaps talking a little bit about like embodiment and and chronic pain like I know you kind of mentioned the way that that plant medicine can weave in with chronic pain and you know so much of your work is rooted and, and themed around aliveness like and how aliveness doesn't necessarily always mean like bunnies and rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> it means that we're here in our bodies in all of it. Yeah. I mean, aliveness is a word that I kind of just started desperately clinging to a handful of years ago, you know? And I think, yeah, I think for me, aliveness is like being here for all of it. And I say that, you know, even after I've been struggling for a year and a half to <laughs> to be alive, to be in my own aliveness and to be in my body. And But I think that there's room for it all. You know, there's room for the times where we just are really struggling to stay present or stay with ourselves or our bodies. And aliveness, I think, you know, again, my history of trauma and abuse really left me like kind of like a shell of a person in my 20s and struggling a lot and I needed I, I needed these practices to start like reigniting parts of myself that I had lost along the way or that I had forgotten exist and aliveness is like even if I don't feel like I'm you know, totally in relationship to that concept, it's nearby, you know, like I can reach towards it. I can do things that allow me to stay more present with myself and with other people. And, you know, chronic pain, I think when I think of chronic pain, I, I think of like the, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, the, all of the ways that pain shows up in our bodies and in our experiences. And, you know, it can it can make it hard to stay present with ourselves because I think, you know, something that maybe gets missed a lot in like, not a lot, but sometimes in meditation practices or different, you know, body-based or somatic practices is like, it's not a joyride for all of us to be in our bodies, you know, which I think is kind of human. I think it's pretty human to struggle to be in, in our, in our, form yeah they are they are vessels that have carried us through a lot of different things and that doesn't always necessarily mean that it's a delight to be with yeah totally and I think too you know a lot of us that experience chronic pain in all its iterations it's like we are hyper aware of our bodies all the time you know like we I mean I like I said I've been going through a pretty wild long-term health situation that has, you know, it's longer, it's, it's way older than a year and a half, but it's been acute in the last year and a half. And I'm just like, I'm constantly aware of my body, you know, like I'm like, and back to the heady, it's like, but unfortunately I'm like heady all the time in my body. You know, I'm like, what's happening? What should I do? How can I solve this? How can I stop this? You know? And like, yeah, the hypervigilance that you can yes. develop where you're like, oh, this is happening. Does that mean that something's new? Oh, 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 is that going to Let me go on WebMD. Yeah. Know? Like <laughs> terrible idea at midnight. Don't look at the images you know? on Google, Google <laughs> images when you search. <laughs> oh yeah. Lots of image searching. But but yeah, you know, I think like the truth is that is one way of being in our bodies, which is hard and draining and complicated and doesn't even mean that we get an answer after the Google search, you know, and then these other practices invite us to be with our bodies, like, like what is happening in them, what sensations are present, what emotions are present, what stories are present. And I think I need that those practices to help me stay in my aliveness. You know, I think I've, again, it's where the practice comes in. It's like, you know, 15 years ago when I was trying to meditate, I would fall asleep all the time. I couldn't do it. And I felt ashamed about that. I was like, oh, you know, but there was a part of me that was protecting myself, I think, from my own embodied experience. And 
that's shifted over time, you know, like, even if I go into a breath practice or a meditative practice, and I'm crying immediately, like, at least I have the space to be with that, you know, and at least I have the time to be with that. So it started to feel like more of a generative space where I, I mean, more so recently, I've recommitted to like a morning meditation practice and I'm like excited to do it, which is not really like me in like (laughs) daily practices. So, you know, it's like our relationship to being alive can be very much supported by just spending time in our bodies. Yeah. And so there's that sense of like, spending time in like beyond words beyond language Mm -hmm. like and that I think that's one of the things I love about breath work is that it gives that space to experience what we're experiencing but not have to immediately put words to it not have to like you know pin it down and like put in its nice little box and tidy it away it's just like oh cool this is this is what's here right now like and getting to be present with it which which feels so which feels so alive whether you know whether it's joy whether it's gratitude whether you're like oh my god my life is amazing and <laughs> you know which which I've had those experiences where you're just like wow everything's so beautiful yeah yeah and there's the moments where you're like oh god my heart is breaking or you know like everything hurts or like the, the all of all of the world is falling apart and like there is this deep grief mm-hmm. and and to be present with that as well yeah and it's it's just such a gift we can offer ourselves to really open to the full scope of what it is possible to be alive for rather than, you know, I think that the narrow little frameworks of like, well, this is okay to be alive for this, but we're trying to get rid of this part of being alive. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I think that what you spoke to about the breath practice, it it is, it is that, you know, it allows us to be with all the parts of it without having to put language on it, you know, and, and also like an opportunity to notice when our brain is trying to come in and be like, this means this and this happened. And then this, you know, it's like these like linear binarized ideas of what's happening in our body is like, we, we get a chance to kind of just like, be like, I'm not, not going to do that right now. <laughs> it's no, just going to be, it's going to stay here. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you call yourself a grief worker, right? I mean, how does does that kind of show up in in your your teachings, your practices, your mm. healing practice? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I like <laughs> <laughs> grief, you know, grief is t- for me has just been like a lifelong teaching that, again, I am not an expert in and hope I never am. Every time I'm in the throes of a deep grief cycle again, I'm like, wow, I know nothing about grieving. (laughs) You know, like, I just don't know how to do it. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think growing up as a kid who lived in an abusive home, it's like, I... I've been in a constant state of grief, really. And and I think like at times that constant state of grief has tried to take me out, you know? I've tried to not not be here in the world for a long time. And I think coming into relationship with grief has allowed me to stay here, you know, has allowed me to commit to my aliveness. And, you know, I think it shows up in my practice because I... My like longer trajectory of work is that, you know, maybe 12, I always forget what year we're in at this point, but you know, like 2000, <laughs> 2008, 2009, I was doing community organizing work around sexual violence in New York City. And that very much came out of my own trauma history and a desire to do something with the the really hard pain I had received in my life. And so from there, I edited an anthology called Queering Sexual Violence about queer and trans people and both, you know, our, our survivorhood and also like what it means to be in the world or be working in anti-violence work as LGBTQ people. And so a lot of the people I work with are survivors of different kinds of violence and trauma. And I think, again, it's like, it's being with the pain of that and being with the difficulty of holding those experiences in our bodies while also like trying to like reignite parts of ourselves. So, you know, I think 
to be really basic grief is a teacher and <laughs> it just is you know mm -hmm. like we can run from the, the the heaviness that we feel when we're in deep grief places or we can just feel it and I think you know if I think anyone who is awake and alive and present in this world knows that we are in a, a deep grief cycle yeah. and yet there's really kind of nowhere to go with it <laughs> you know like there's no recognition you know collectively I think there is individually or depending on communities that we're in or in a part of but like the collective amnesia around so many horrifying things that have happened in the history of humankind it's this kind of a never-ending well of grief to be present to yeah, the, there is. And I mean, you know, I feel as you were speaking, it was, you know, like grief as as another form of chronic pain, right? Like it is the the pain that we carry in ourselves and in our emotional bodies. And yeah, there is, you know, you've spoken of of living in dying times, which feels very, you know, kind of is this kind of phrase that like struck me through to my guts. And I was like, oh God, <laughs> Jenny, <laughs> your newsletter, what have you done to me? Um, but yeah, like you, know, you, you there are these moments that I, I have experienced and I imagine other people experience, you know, where you are uh, kind of sideswiped by maybe it's not the same thing for everyone. Like, you know, for me it's, you know, I will read about like the like the victims of AIDS who are buried on that island in New York, which I read about recently, and like, you know, just like involuntary weeping for debt, like, you know, for hours of just like, oh God, the, like the heartbreak of mm -hmm. the AIDS crisis still sideswipes me somehow, even though I was too young to live through it. And like, you know, or the massive extinctions that have happened in the last however many years of, you know, like 50% of. The creatures that were once alive are now extinct and it's just like oh yeah. god and it's just like you know these these times of of massive grief mm -hmm. on a you know on a on a global scale rather than rather than just a like a personal scale and how we how we can stay with ourselves in those moments as well because I think they are the ones that can be really easy to gloss over where you're like well can't do anything about this like I literally can't yeah. do anything about the AIDS crisis in the 80s but you know how we we let those things that that strike us with pain and sadness and yeah. and loss kind of move through us yeah 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 i also think that those kinds of understandings or realizations like help bring us into relationship with other people you know mm. it's like i think a lot of my own personal work and also like the the spaces i try to provide are like we have to connect our individual experiences to the collective. You know, we have to, we have to connect the things that we notice as like mirrors of our own experience in the collective and also like the experiences we're never going to have and, and grieve those grieve what's happening to other people, grieve what's happening to animals, to land. It's, you know, I think I'm someone who tends to get more bogged down into the like heaviness and grief, you know? And I think it's easy for me to, I mean, it's not easy. <laughs> it's like easy enough though, for me to like, just go to that place. It's harder for me to come out of it. It's harder for me to like expand bigger. And I think, you know, we're also, yeah, being in dying times, we are all dying and we're all dying at different rates and times. I, I, also think things are speeding up you know another thing I like to google at midnight is when is the full collapse gonna happen you know it's like not it's like it's casual not... 2 a.m googling no problem <laughs> not like it's I mean the collapse is already happening and has been and I also think it's like you talk to different people from different identities and communities and like that's none of this is new and also we're in a, a we're in an in a new iteration of it I think yeah. clearly with the pandemic I think like the you know the larger kind of collective delusion around what's happening is hard I think it's really hard for me in like I call it the wellness industrial complex where you know there's always been so much spiritual bypassing and removal of people's lived identities and experiences in in quote unquote healing spaces 
and how that just doubled down during the pandemic, you know, like so many more people really didn't want to be <laughs> with what was happening, you know, and found ways to deny it and erase it and weaponize. Yeah, just weaponize it. And I think, you know, it's, it is hard to be in, in an awareness of being in the dying times. And also like, we have to be able to do it. We have yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, I think if you don't, you either bypass or you, you, you kind of like you slide into like bypassing or you slide too deep into it and you go like entirely insane because yeah. it's a lot to hold. Yeah. So yeah. Like that's, that's a titration again, right? Where you're like, okay, yeah. I can take this much today and then I will settle back. And like, you know, knowing, yeah. knowing how to comfort ourselves, knowing how to hold ourselves in yeah. the midst of all of it. Yeah, totally. And it's, yeah, again, it's like where holding on to the things that help anchor us in this world because it is easy. Yeah, it is easy to go in one direction or the other, which both are deeply painful. You know, I mean, it's it's deeply painful, I think, to be in either <laughs> either side of the of the spectrum, you know, only in that area. So yeah, it's like how do we stay, how do we bring ourselves back? from the depths or the you know the detachment <laughs> the detachment yeah 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 I mean where do we want to go from here I feel like you know, kind of having taken it larger we might <laughs> we might circle kind of like or root back down perhaps into like talking about being in relationship with the land and mm. you know the I mean relatively recently you moved you moved from New York when did you move yeah I moved from New York Two years ago, 2020, September 2020, I lived in New York City for 16 years. So I was in New York City for the six, the first six months of the pandemic beginning. Yeah. And then now moved to so-called New Mexico. And as a herbalist, you have this beautiful garden space, right? Which yeah. like, it must have been interesting. I, I live in London and, you know, big city, big metropolis. And to have a relationship with the land is something that I think when I was younger, I was like, this is a city. This is a place of concrete. There is no land here. And, you know, I have obviously shifted my my perspective on that over the years, but I wonder what, you know, moving somewhere where you are literally putting your hands in the dirt, like how mm. has that, how has that shifted your relationship to that place? Yeah. Do you, do you think it's possible to be in relationship in deep, in big cities? I mean, I do, but you know, I'd love to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally do. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it is possible. And, you know, when I lived in New York City, you know, at different points, I had access to a backyard or usually at least I had a fire escape. So I, I almost always was growing something, especially in the last decade, I would say, I think in my 20s, everything I ever tried to grow died, which, you know, <laughs> makes sense now. But, you know, yeah, I did, you know, I did a lot of stuff in New York City. You know, I think that there's a you know, yes, it is full of concrete. And there's also like all of these incredible plants that have learned to survive and thrive in a city space. I think it's really fun to just like come up on a plant that I love in a city where I'm like, ah, oh, I know that plant. What are you doing here? You know, like, Hi, friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of sweetness that can happen in the city. And, you know, there, there's all kinds of ways to be in relationship with land and plants there. And, and also like being in relationship to land is being in relationship to the ways that like a skyscraper gets built, you know, like all of the horrifying things that lead to that kind of structure, all of the things that kind of structure makes possible. I think it's just different, you know, it's different than being out here, like we're we moved pretty rurally and we're in like a probably less than 400 person town. It was a whole series of just like, I don't know, some of it was magic that we got here. You know, I think like we had my partner and I had already considered in a few years moving from New York City. Then the pandemic hit and I was in like a well, maybe less than 300 square foot space all the time oh, trying crazy. to yeah, you know, it's like, it was a great, I was there for seven years. It was amazing before the pandemic hit because I was in the world. I was outside. I was going to work. I, you know, it just became impossible to be there in such a small space and access to outside was really hard, you know, with so many people. 
So, you know, we were able to just make this move happen by leveraging some of my partner's carpentry skills and her unemployment that she was able to get that I didn't get because I was working and, you know, whatever, whatever. We found our way out here and we're in a really old farmhouse, adobe farmhouse. And we are, we're just, we're renting this place. We're on a lot of land and, you know, yeah, I have a huge garden now and it actually, we just got our first frost this morning. So I was able to do the last harvest yesterday and it's very good timing because now everything's frosted. But yeah, I think being out here, it's, it's offering me a lot of opportunity to build relationship with land. Also to like figure out how to build relationship with land as a white person in a place where there is so much incredible indigenous activism and, you know, a lot of beautiful work around land in place and colonization and violence. And so, you know, I think my work out here has been to just be like a, a tender, you know, like a person, like I don't, I don't own this land. Even if I did, you know, own it on yeah, paperwork, yeah. like on renting own. Own this land, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I still wouldn't own the land. And, you know, I think it's been a humbling experience. I think just when I think I like know something about a plant's growing cycle or the weather or whatever, like it changes. We had a New Mexico, I would say more broadly, had two of the worst wildfires that have ever happened here this year. So, you know, I that's the first time I've been that close to a fire. It was just over the mountain. It was 10 miles away. We did get put on the first tier of the evacuation list, which meant we had to go through all the emotions and take pictures and videos of everything we owned and it's hard. I'm Australian. I, I recognize that. I mean, like, thankfully I've never been in that exact circumstance, but yeah, fire is, is a real, it's a real thing in Australia as well. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, I think it, this is my, this was my third, no, second summer here. So, you know, everything was different. I mean, plants, the plants, I had to put plants in the ground a little bit later because we were trying to navigate, do we have to leave or not? Plants bloomed later this year. You know, like there were so many things that happened where I was like, oh, this is the direct impact of climate Mm -hmm. on living beings. And I don't have any control over it. You know, like I can't fertilize my way out of this. <laughs> I just know? have to be like, present to the things yes. that, is, that is right in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Over again, right? yeah. And again, it's like back to the grief piece too. It's like the people that I come from are the colonizers and how do I build a relationship still? Like how, how can I access a relationship with land in spite of or despite everything that my ancestors have done. And, you know, that's a that's a moving question for me. I think, you know, the ways that I try to reflect it in my work is, you know, paying a land tax every month, which is a cool thing that people, that Indigenous organizers have created for people in different states and cities in the U.S. at least, or, you know, harvesting and sharing plants when I can with, like, mutual aid projects or, you know, like just being in relationship to other people with the plants from like a non-extractive or kind of like raspy, capitalistic kind of place. Kind of like hugging everything to yourself kind of way. Yeah. Like how can I share? Can I like building relationships with my neighbors who have been here for generations and generations and making them you know, uh, an herbal blend for the smoke (laughs) from the fires, you know, it's like, those are, they're small things. They feel small to me sometimes. And also like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's building relationships, I think. And, and, and knowing my, knowing my place here, you know, like I'm not here to change the communities that I've come into. I'm here to just like be, be in relationship to the land and to the people here. Yeah. I think that's the thing is like, you know, it can be so easy to expect things, you know, our actions, our, our, you know, good intentions, whatever, to be these grand gestures. But relationship is is so small. Relationship is, you know, making something for your neighbor that will that will help with the thing you are collectively experiencing. Like yes. that's, it, it's a small gesture, but it it's the kind of thing that 
you know, relationships are these tiny little drops added up. Yeah. Yeah. And the same goes with, with non-human beings as well. Like to get to, to get to be in relationship with when a plant is blooming and, and how it's been impacted by its environment is, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. 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 So I know I'm, I'm conscious that we are winding towards our <laughs> end of our time together, but finally there is a really wonderful line you use to describe yourself on your website, which I love, which is like actually this and that, but also dreaming. <laughs> it's like, it's so like, look, I could list all of the things that I'm against, but also like there, there's hope, there is dreaming. And I wonder like, what are you dreaming about right now? Like, Oof. yeah <laughs> yeah yes there are a lot of things I could list that I'm anti and <laughs> I mean you yeah. know <laughs> time <laughs> yeah yeah what am I dreaming of you know I think these days I'm like trying to to crack the code on spaciousness and ease I don't think those are things that I've accessed much in my lifetime and you know, for all the reasons. I think being out here helps me, you know, it's like on a beautiful summer day, if I'm like, just like emailing my brains out, I'm like, Jenny, there's a hike in your backyard. Like, what are you doing? You know? So I'm trying to bring more of that in of just like, not waiting until the to-do list is done to like, go do this restorative thing for myself, which some days I'm better at than others. And, you know, I think dreaming and hope have been hard these last couple of years for me. They've been like harder to access. I also like, I do, I do think that we, yes, we're in dying times, but we are, we are in a place of massive opportunity Mm -hmm. to create change and to create systems and structures that more are that are more supportive to more people. I don't know if human beings are up to the task of um <laughs> navigating the rocky road of like, change. That's a hope. That's a hope right there, right? <laughs> okay. like, yeah. yeah. But I hope I hope we are. I hope we are because we need it. You know, I think I'm more of a like burn it all down and start over person personally you know I'm like no there's not like I often think about like dreaming this new world and I'm like well we're dreaming it from a place of all of these broken fucking systems and I mean they're not broken they're working the way they should and also they are breaking people but yeah I I I hope we're up for it and (laughs) I'm trying, I'm trying to stay up for it personally, but I feel like the ease know. works with that. The, like <laughs> yeah. letting yourself have some more ease will possibly open some space for for more drink. I'm like, wow, so hopeful. Isn't everyone inspired now? This is great. <laughs> no, oh man. It's good. You get to be a grief worker and be like, man, things are hard. Like that's okay. Yeah. Things are <laughs> fucked. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I lo- but I love that like that energy of the tower I don't know if you if you oh, but oh, yes, yes that energy, like <laughs> let everything be struck by lightning let it all like crumble down to the foundations and then after the tower yeah. comes the sun, like comes the star and there is that that like soothing that mm-hmm. ease that like you know the healing that comes after everything has crumbled and so there's yeah. you know, the dance between the two that can be made totally totally yeah and it's like we are in tower times I mean Oh yeah. We are. We just are. We just are. And then, <laughs> and, and in that, yeah, in the falling of things, there is so much space made for thing for things that are more supportive, more yeah. human to be created. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, I think that's a hopeful enough place to wrap things up. <laughs> and I feel like hopeful enough is as good as we need right now. Like, that's all we got. That's all, yeah, we got. that's all we got. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. It was an utter pleasure to talk to you and also to find out that we are like star sign neighbors. Oh my God, the same, yes. practically the same. Is there anywhere you'd like to kind of like point people to find more of your work to come and mm. join you for breath work or, or buy your beautiful herbal products? Yeah. Yeah. So my website is corpusritual.com and my Instagram is also corpusritual. I do, I have an apothecary that's always open, almost always open. I do facilitate virtual breathwork groups. They were every month and now I'm being a little more spacious with my body and (laughs) they're more like every other month, you know, so I probably will have one in December 
And that'll be up on my website in like mid-November. I don't know when this is coming out, but there is also a Breathwork for Grief group on October 27th. I think it'll be out before that. So yeah, we can. Cool. Yeah. And that's through um, Likely General, which is a shop in Toronto that's kind of focused on lifting up and stocking, you know, magical wares and practices from people from marginalized communities. So it's a cool space, but it's virtual. So you can join and there'll be a recording if you can't join live. And I do facilitate one-on-one work. It's been on pause for new clients this year, but hopefully next year I'll be back, back at it. And my almost always, my groups are sliding scale and my one-on-one is always sliding scale. So yeah, well, I will be first in line for one <laughs> breath work with you because it's it's a delight. And yeah. yeah, thank you again. It's such a pleasure to get to talk to you. Same. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you once again to Jenny for joining me for this episode. If you want to find more of her work, uh, including that workshop which is coming up in a couple of days, and her group breath work and potentially one-to-one breath work, um, then all of the details are down in the show notes. If you're enjoying these conversations and you want to help support Wayward Bodies, then that would be fantastic. You can subscribe, you can rate and review, you can tell someone, uh, email your mum, tell your best friend, share an episode with your work colleague who is thinking about these things, uh, write a post-it note and stick it on the tube, however it is that you feel inspired to, to share. And I wholeheartedly support you. Recommendations and word of mouth really are the best and they help the show get into more people's ears. You can find more of my work at my website, anotherpractice.com where you'll find details on one-to-one embodiment guidance and find ways to join the mailing list, which is my other favorite way to communicate. And you can drop me an email about anything that has cropped up in today's episode or any of the others at waywardbodies at protonmail.com. This episode is edited by the glorious Jolie Kelly of Spreading Fire Studios with huge thanks and praises. This podcast really wouldn't get made without her. And that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for being here with me. I will speak to you next time. Until then, big love.